0: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
1: This is it. The time has come.
2: Saturday night's all right for fighting. All right, Get in the ring and go the distance with Fight Night with Adam Catterall and Gareth A. Davies You're better than that on Talk Sport.
3: Welcome to the Fight Night podcast, I'm Adam Catterall, pleasure as always to be in your company If it's the first time you've ever come across us, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and you'll never miss out on any of our content. I know that you can't always join us live on a Saturday night from 8 o'clock on Sports, but this is the next best thing. Get it and listen to it whenever you are free and available to do so. We've got a ton of guests coming your way. You can hear from Barry Hearn, Ben Davidson, and Bob Arum reliving Hagler Hearns. Yeah, that's what we did on Saturday night. But we are going to start by taking a look back at a phenomenal career for the St. George Groves.
1: Hammersmith, London, England, Saint. George Groves! The accuracy
2: pinpoint from the Hammersmith fighter tonight.
4: Good jab this from Groves.
1: Miguel jogs after him. Groves might have get a bit hurt here. And George Groves is really going for it here to body and to head. Oh, good right hand from Groves once again big moments here for Groves and Tudinov's got to suck it up he's not-
3: Let's relive some of those fantastic moments that George Groves provided uh, inside the ring. And obviously, we'll talk about stuff that's going on outside the ring as well. The Saint joins us now. How are you, George? You well?
5: Yeah, I'm well, thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks for having me
3: on. No, listen, thank you so much for for being on the show. It's now, what is it, 15 months since you decided to call time on that stellar career. How has retirement treated you so far?
5: Yeah, pretty good. I mean, it's been a little bit of practice for this... uh, isolation period we're going through right now I suppose <laughs> you know it was struggling um being at home or working from home but um I had a little bit of practice from it taking things a little bit easier and a little bit slower so um yeah it's been it's been uh it's been okay it's been good no itchy no, no itchy itchy fists to get back in the in the gym to get back punching but um I'm okay. Missing, miss,
3: missing, the sport at the moment, though. Got, must admit, in terms of as a spectator. No, absolutely. Uh, you've also got a young family. Are you in charge of any of the uh, homeschooling lessons um, whilst you're on lockdown?
5: No, see, I see. I covered all bases and um, married a um, primary school teacher.
3: Well done, <laughs> uh, <mate>. well done. <laughs> Upstairs I mean, for very, thinking. Very
5: much, you know. Um, we do a bit of uh, a bit of exercise in the morning. Have I got a? a, a a three and a half year old, 18 month old. So, exercise is limited and it lasts maybe minutes, literally yeah. a hand, handful of minutes, and that's me ticked off for the day in terms of educating. And um, yeah, so I'll pass and hand the baton over to the, to the wife and she takes it from there.
3: Well, I'm, I'm, it's good that you're doing the PA because I, I saw the uh, video that you recorded before uh, everybody went into isolation and lockdown with uh, your old friend, Anthony Agogo, the, uh, the, the seven minute KR fit. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe that's a little thing for you two, you boys, to crack on with in the in the not too distant future. You know what I mean? A new business venture there.
5: Yeah, well, I go I'll go um, uh, with 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 another chap called Anthony, who uh, I know quite well. Um, they've put together this seven-minute sort of um, morning workout, which they want to be an habitual habit. You know, for um, people to just get up and get motivated, get done, get your whole get sort of you exercise that you would really need for a day. You can sort of get it done first thing in the morning or whenever in the day, but you can cut it down to seven minutes and have a little blast out. And yeah, we did it. I did, I joined Anthony on one of his sessions. Um He was actually a, few, a good few months ago now. I, uh, yeah. And uh he sort of, he's just coming around to a point where he's releasing it a couple of, I think, footballers and loads of other sporting faces. He sort of, he's... Um, He's done these uh, go-go versus challenges with, and they're good fun. I mean, it's a shame it didn't come out a bit earlier because he's he, literally everyone's now piled into the sort of home, yeah. you know, fitness, you know, Instagram scene. So, uh, but that's a professional setup that they got, you know, obviously experienced guys. And um, yeah, there's definitely something some some legs in it. Hopefully, um, it catches on, and I think now everyone's in the groove to actually be going online and doing online, um, workouts that, you know, it's definitely a great platform for him to, to build from. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, I haven't seen him spoke to him on the phone and, uh, yeah, that was a as pleasure to get to anyone these days.
3: <laughs> no, it was a good, it was a good fun watch, mate. Um, listen, we're going to have a little bit of a look back at some of, uh, your stellar moments inside the ring. W- one thing that I wanted to talk to you about was the man was the mental aspect of the sport. Um, now, everybody obviously knows how your career played out and you had some knocks along the way and got to the promised land uh, in that fight against Chudinov. But the mental fortitude that you showed throughout your career to bounce back is probably one of your biggest assets. Would you go along with that? And, and if so, has it always been the case? Were you like that as a kid? Were you always mentally tough as a kid? Were you always extremely confident that you would get to the places that you needed to get to when you were a kid?
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah. From, from from the very get-go, I um, believed in myself. I mean, to the point where it's sort of an understatement, of, you know, um, just thought it was all there for the taking. You just had to apply yourself. Um, you know, as a real young kid, I just thought, you know, I was I was talented enough and I was hardworking enough, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and that was always I'd finish on top of me, the greatest of all time. As I got older, I met more and more Talented people, I realise there's an awful lot more talented people out there. But then, the you know talent alone won't get you to the top. Hard work alone definitely won't get you to the top. You need to be strong-willed, um, have a great um, amount of mental strength um, to keep a, a grip on reality at times. Definitely have a bit of luck when you need it. Sense your opportunities, um, and then you know sniff them out, fish them, and then when they're there. Definitely um, make the most of them. A couple of times, you know, I I didn't quite get there. Um, I had a couple of setbacks and um, things that were my fault. And, you know, then I had to go away and readdress and rebuild. But um, as long as your your goals are, are still the same, you don't ever want to sort of give up on them. Um, it got to a point where, in my career, I wouldn't forgive myself if I didn't come out of it um, with enough, you know, for, you know, your career is never going to be perfect, especially in boxing because you, even even the like certainly Joshua, who sort of has it all sort of laid out for him, um, there will be fights that can't get paid at the times where you want them, um, as well as obviously if you do make a mistake, figure out the ball and, and get beaten to avenge that loss. It's you know nothing's perfect, so um, yeah, I've seen this. I I I had, like, setbacks that weren't setbacks, you know, from the start. So, like, being from the same amateur club as James de and beating him but not getting a sort of uh, a run that trying to qualify for the Beijing Olympics, yeah. you know, I took that as a personal setback, you know. Like, so that was, like, that was something that I think lots of fighters can go to the, the tail end of their career and not experience where they feel like they had a fair shake, you know, or they've been overlooked or, um, you know, they've had to, to to deal with, yeah, like it felt like a, it felt like a loss, you
6: know. It's funny, you know, Grovesy, um, Adam asking you there about what you were like as a kid. And I, I had the luck in many ways. Uh, I, we've talked about this, you and I. I mean, you won't even remember it. You were 10 years old, 11 years old both you and James DeGale, remember when I came, well you don't remember, but we've talked about it, I came down to Dale Youth in Ladbrook Grove, a tiny little chapel of rest, with a miniature ring, and did a story in the Telegraph for the school sports section, when you were tiny little kids, when you looked like a choir boy with a shock of, 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 <laughs> of, of ginger hair, red hair, and obviously I knew you all the way through your career, you went to Fight 10, um, and then you had your real wake up fight against Kenny Anderson then you had that amazing night against uh, James Degale um in a very very close fight uh, you went through all the traditional route um you, you had fantastic victories really tough guys Glenn Johnson all the way up to your 20th fight and mm. weirdly you had an amazing first fight against Carl Froch you appealed to the IBF we got this beginning of these major stadium fights, even though I know you've settled the beef now with Carl Froch and I tried to get you to push him in the media room in Vegas to make a third fight. Do you remember? <laughs> <laughs> you, you, I, I knew you well enough to know that because that night that Adam mentions when you fought Fedor Tudinov, mm. when you, got to the sixth round and you, you stopped him on his feet with an incredible barrage of punches, having not had your own way in the fight at Bramall Lane, when you walked down the aisle to the press conference that night, I could see something had lifted from you. And it was... You could just see it in your whole spirit, if you like. Do you remember?
5: Yeah, yeah, well, definitely... Um, I remember it was... um even now when you, you know, watch the, the footage back, you know, it's, um, it's just a relief, you know, it's like you say the weight, weight's lifted off your shoulders. Um, it's relief. That really was sort of my last go at as such. You know, if, if for whatever reasons, um, it didn't work out that night, then, um, I don't know if I would have been in the right frame of mind to have come again. Um, because you knew uh, you could be a
6: world champion. That was the point. You knew you had to set. The power, the skills, the the tenacity, the stamina. You'd put everything into it for 20 years, you know?
5: Yeah, well, you know, like... Um, you come on... Uh, you know, at the time, especially, you come under it. And you, you say these things and you, get under, you come under a lot of sticks and such, you know. But I've never been in a fight that I didn't think I, I, I could have won. You know, I, I finished up with four losses on my record. Um, I think on my day I would have beat every one of them. Um I, I still think the same now, I would have thought the same then. It's just who I am, I suppose as a person. I I think it's a it's a good thing, it's a good way to think and feel. So losing, um I used to take personally, I remember Steve Bunn saying to me mm. um, "I after it was hard, no one no one seemed to lose as bad as you did. <laughs> uh, mm. and it wasn't mm. so much as uh, it just I just took it so so badly and um I don't really mind that, you know, I think it's the best way best way to be, and never really wanted to accept accept a defeat um, bar barring the the last fight where um, I still haven't really assessed it properly um, in terms of everything that was going on beforehand and how I was thinking and feeling and where I was in my life and my thought processes and my the motivations and desires and you know, I got into a fight where um, I believed I was good enough to win, but I wasn't right. I wasn't fit. I just, you know, have I taken the fight because I didn't want to miss out? I didn't want to be. I didn't want someone else to step in. I didn't want to walk away from the money. I didn't want to walk away from the, mm-hmm. the accolades. There, I you know, I didn't didn't want to just roll the dice and see whether a big big fight would come along again soon after. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, other than that, you know. <laughs> every every loss you know um was was terrible you know it was was devastating and mm. uh, i think yeah if i'd lost to to tune on that fourth attempt that would been my fourth loss, then it would have been really difficult to have sort of come back to back to the table back to the rebuilding stage you know get you know um take that full form grace as such mm. um mm which I did, uh, I did, and I happily did it, I, you know, you bite on the gum shield, you, t- you take, you know, the bum money at times and stuff like that, uh, just just to get myself there, but um, I showed, you know, in my story in particular, you know, you, if you do have the talent, you do have the desire, um, and you're willing to put in the work, you, uh, you will get there, and then you know, I I, I, you know, I left the sport happy. I genuinely did. You know, d I've no urges. People ask me all the time, do you want to, do you, you want to come back? I'm like, no, <laughs> I, I, I don't. Like I don't. I don't. There's, there's nothing yet. I never say never, but there's nothing yet that really wants me to. You know, um, I think I I, I come out of it happy. I got, I got,
6: hmm.
5: I got enough out of it. So aren't yeah,
6: you I'm, a cruiserweight now
5: though? Cruiserweight, yeah. If I, um, I mean, I was cruiserweight pre, um, pre isolation. But now I'm crept up a bit. Um, You know, I do look at them heavyweights and I think, you know, what if I was six foot three, six foot four, a couple of inches. But I suppose every man says that, you know. Um,
6: You were a huge super middleweight. You were huge. That was the thing as well. I'm like, you're such a big man now. Now that you're a civilian,
5: yeah. if you're a know Well, what like I mean. when I, I, turned, I turned pro, I boxed uh, amateur at 75 kilo, which is middleweight. Light middle. Um, professional, yeah, yeah. you get 76 kilo, so 12 stone dead. Um, so I had a kilo to play with, and I used to come in the gym at around 80 kilo um, yeah. at the start of my career. You know, uh, I think um, the night before I boxed Callum Smith, uh, the night before the weighing, I was 83 kilo. So, you know, that's. Um, that's how much bigger i got wow. in the space of 10 years as a pro. So I'd come back in the gym at, you know, 14 and a half stone, close to 15 stone sometimes. And that's not necessarily just pigging out, like letting yourself slide. It's like I've had three weeks off and I just, yeah. I just thickened out. You know, I've got like, um, just one of them physiques that, uh, you know, i have never cut. I ain't got like a, a tiny waist. And it's like a, like a wedge. Like I wish I did look like that. I'd like to look like Gerald McLennan or one of them guys, but I don't, you know, I'm just, um, pretty pretty sick good good um, core strength dorsal flexion and the rest of it well, um, yeah it did get a bit tough to make to make, make the ultimate middleweight in the end as well so um, yeah if there was a comeback I'll maybe come back a cruiser <laughs>
1: a tremendous finisher when he gets the opportunity George Groves in less than two rounds has finished Paul Smith's challenge
7: you're
3: listening to fight night on talk sport I'm Adam Catterall Gareth A. Davis with me George Groves is our guest this week as we look back at his stellar career. George, there's a couple of questions coming here from uh, from a couple <coughs> of fans, uh, so I'll, mm-hmm. I'll throw them your way. First of all, um, as a, as you look at your career now and the fights that you had, professionally this is, which is your best performance? Oh, um. <laughs>
5: um, in terms of sticking to a game plan, I think James DeGale um fight was real intense, mm. still pretty early on in my career, it was the first time I ever had a strict game plan I had to go out and follow and I managed to do that. Um so that was that was good for me. Um the ones where, you know, not many went wrong, like the punch perfect sort of thing, would have been Paul Schiff was over in two rounds. Um uh, Noe Gonzalez I boxed really well, which was my fight before fighting Froch, um the first fight. So fight with French. When I watch it back now, technically, there's a lot of things that I could have done a lot better. But obviously, I was working with a new team and a massive fight against a world-class fighter and loads of pressure on me, etc. But that said, I you know still worked pretty well that night. Um, and yeah, I switched to Ch- North fight as well. Chudinor and, and the um, Eubank fight where mm. I had to sort of bite down the gum shield with some both times had a bit of a serious injury to contend with. Um, a bit with Eubank, It was only in the last round, but still in a big pressure fight.
2: Yeah.
5: Those on the line, world title fights. So um, yeah, they they were they were pretty good as well. But nothing really. I, I don't have an answer. So um, <laughs> That's a uh, you're a perfectionist,
3: is what you... What I think. The answer is that there you go. Yeah,
5: yeah, yeah. Well, you always always watch back and and um, you know I don't like getting hit at all. I don't like wasting a shot in particular. You know like. um you see, I, I, just think, I, don't, I don't waste shots, and then the punch stats come up, and they, these guys are winding me up. I've only got, like, 18% success rate on my jab, and I look at the guy's face. I ain't in front of right hand yet, you know? So um, <laughs> things like that, you see on my nose. But even when I'm sometimes, well, Sunday mornings now, I go down to U for Amateur Club. I used to box that for, forever and um, take some of the lads on the pads now down there and teach them. Not to weigh shots, you know, like, it's just every, make every shot count. Every shot should, you know, even at an amateur level, you only need to just go in and let your hands go and weigh shots, um, set traps and, you know, make the guys earn their money. One of the fights
6: we haven't mentioned yet, George, uh, I was there in Las Vegas, it was on a Floyd Mayweather card, was the Badu Jack fight. And um, obviously it came, I think it was uh, a, a year and a bit after... Uh, so it was I think it was no it was, yeah it was a year and a bit after the second Karl Froch fight, mm-hmm. obviously at that point um interestingly, and I think it is an interesting point, you probably didn 't need to work again after the second Karl Froch fight because it was enormous. you would have earned a staggering amount of money life changing money, and yet you had to get up again you fought on andrea de Luisa david brophy martin Murray, Edward Goodnecht. He was a tough guy. Um, sorry, Christopher Rebrasse, I meant, sorry, and Dennis Douglan. And then you went to Vegas, and I remember distinctly you were so disappointed in your performance that night and the decision. Um, I remember getting into a blazing row with your agent because we didn't see you after the fight, but you were so disappointed. You could not talk to anyone. I think that was probably one of the toughest moments in your career for you, if I'm right.
5: Yeah, 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 I mean, it was, um, it was a tough, you know, I didn't think anything, you know, you, you feel like you're a rock bottom master, you know, public humiliation, getting knocked out against Carl Froch um, in front of, you know, 8,000, um, you know, you, you don't know where you're going from there, you know, you're part of a rebuilding stage, and Mm.
7: the
5: whole, the whole time I'm like, I'm just chasing it now, you know, um, I think I'm a world champion without the belt. You know, know, I got so close. It's just, you know, what do I do? How do I get there? You know, I need to make up for lost time now. You know, I had a uh, a, a contract that was still assigned um, with the Salon brothers just before the rematch with Froch. It was, you know, it was a a big money contract, but it was all on the basis of being a world champion. So, Mm -hmm. you know, those... Money and fight and incentives don't kick in to become world champion. So, you know, they worked really well for me and they got me into a manager position with my first fight back. But at the same time, it was, you know, a fall from grace. It was, you know, the pay per view show, world title fight at Wembley Stadium to down the, you know, to, to across the road at Wembley Arena, um, European title fight. Um, didn't sell out, um, you know, and then from there, the next fight couldn't get a TV date, you know, it's like, um, fleeting. I couldn't, I couldn't get a TV date where a headline date and ended up, um, as a chief support fight for Tony Bowie and Nathan Cleverly in Liverpool. Mm. So, um, mm. from there you're like, right. So I've gone from headlining pay-per-views to headlining and sky air shows. And now I'm supporting that, you know, I'm back down the card. Um, but, I think I look at other fighters out there, um, British fighters in particular who ain't, ain't, ain't maybe haven't been willing to do that as such, you know, have them them filler fights, you know, that you know, they, they will take their toll on on your self esteem as such, but if they can be necessary, mm. um fights to get you back in the picture. And it did take two only two fights to get back in back in line for a world title shot. Mm.
3: Um
5: the Badu Jack fight, um Being a challenger, Um, we wasn't in a strong position to sort of negotiate as such. Um, So we had to go to the States for that fight. We couldn't bring Belichick to the UK. We were supposed to headline our own show at the Cosmopolitan Hotel on the Strip in August, and then literally the day before I was due to fly out for the fight they canceled it and pushed it back to the Mayweather undercard. So it got extended by three or four weeks. And, um, maybe I didn't, maybe I, I it felt like for that fight, I sort of missed over, like overtrained, missed, missed my remember. peak. Yeah. Um, cause I remember I had a sensational sparring session, literally the day before we was due to fly, finished the session on thinking, Oh my God, this is you know, things couldn't be better. Had the call. Um, saying it's off. And then I'm thinking, right, well, do I try and postpone everything for three weeks or do we just fly out tomorrow and do a long camp? We were going to go and stay in Big Bear in California and then drive down the hill to Vegas for the fight. We ended up going out there because everything was prearranged. It was going to be too difficult to uh, make changes. so we ended up having a seven-week camp um, in Big Bear at Altitude, which... Um, probably just it wasn't right for me you know um now with i think more recent studies in that you know the, the advice is to, you can do your training altitude but you should be sleeping you know back down on a you know down a sea level where you, you know you recover quicker and better um but you know we got out there and Baddy Jack was he was big, he was strong, he was better than people gave him credit for. Um we, we, we anticipated a good Jack. You know, we'd seen him. We didn't think he was just gonna roll over or get, get knocked out or anything like that, because like, he had one he had one stoppage defeat where he caught caught cold in stopped in the first round. But he was a he was a good fighter and um it was a tough fight. It was just literally I get dropped in the first round, get up and I started really thinking, Well, it doesn't matter about how you win. You ain't got to look good no more. Just, just win, just win. So I was trying to grind out of the rounds. And um, in hindsight, watching back, you know, I just wasn't doing enough as the challenger away from home um, to be clearly winning the rounds. Um, Ends up going to a split decision, and um, yeah, I was, I was shocked because you know, in the corner, the corner are telling me yeah, this is perfect. Just keep going, just keep going. When really. Um, the corner man should have been saying, like, look, you, you need to do, it needs to be clearer. You know, you, you need to, you know, let your right hand go more, whatever it was, the instruction should have been, mm-hmm. um, it didn't come. And so it was frustration <clears throat> with them immediately. And then later on, frustration with myself because it's, it always, you know, the buck always um, it falls with me at the end. It's, it's, mm-hmm. down, it's down to me to go out and do the business. Um, I should have known that the advice I was getting in the corner was wrong. That the trainer, um, you know, that you know, I wanted, I wanted to change trainers before the fight. Anyway, you know, um, nothing against Paddy. He was brought in. He'd done a tremendous job for me in the first, first fight. But because that one was so close, um, we just sort of it just let it roll on. When really, it wasn't. It was a massive step up in experience for him he'd sort of never been the lead man in a corner let alone in the corner for a huge world title fight and then off the back of the first fight we went to this you know to the biggest post fight attendance in britain and Mm. um i didn't even bother to think about did i need another trainer do i need to make a change and then it was only after the second fight then i felt guilty i'm like god no this, this is me again this is me i got knocked out i made the mistake and then I had uh, the Robrasse fight, the Duglin fight, and both of them fights I felt like this ain't me no more I need to make a change. But I was too scared to make that change because the last time I changed training before a world title fight, I'd, I'd been beat and then people were saying that was the reason. So um, I stuck with Paddy. We had the, the fight I against mean, Paddy Jack. Got the, got it wrong. My fault. You know, I should have um, should have been braver maybe or should have been... Um, stronger world to make the change. But maybe mm. not, you know, maybe not. Maybe that wouldn't have worked out. So
3: um, That was your path, though. You know, that was your path. Hindsight's a wonderful thing. That was your path, and it got you there in the end. We we got to the Chuddenoff fight. You, you had your hand raised, and you became world champion. The journey is a sensational journey. Just before, obviously, we, we let you get on with your evening, uh, George. I started this talking about mental fortitude and how mentally strong you are to, obviously, come back from like you just mentioned there, the defeat to Card, the defeat to Buddy Jack, to pick yourself up again and, and to continue with your career. But I just want to talk about the Eddie Goodneck fight, if I may. I just want to know how that affected you because of everything that happened to Eddie after that particular fight, that will, that would have had some type of effect on you because um, uh, uh, as you, not just as a fighter, but as a man.
5: Because of the head injury? Well, yeah, you know, like, um... sorry, it came along at a period in my life where I had Setbacks as such, you know, like I like had three big, big world title fight losses, and you know I was on the rebuilding phase, and I'd just beaten my Murray for, which was now another world title eliminator, and we were just trying to negotiate to get my challenge for the WBA world title over the line. Um, it was tied up with a sticky situation between North and Felix Sturm, who I think had mm. tested positive for something, and was d- debating it, but anyway. So we took it. We took a keep busy fight with with Eddie Goodnett, and it was a nothing fight. It was a, a keep busy fight. You know, it was a tick over fight. And um, at this time, you know, my um, I just had um, my son was born, first kid. Um, in the in the summer he came a week after the, the Martin Murray fight, and um, you know, he, I don't know <laughs> anyone who's had kids, you you your path changes in life, your perspective, Of course. Um Yeah. Yeah everything changes. Everything and you and you do become softer. Do you know what I mean? You um you know you, uh, 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 I wouldn't say my killer instinct was gone then, but a uh, part of it was gone. You know, like there was I was a softer man for that and um thinking, oh, you know, this is <laughs> this is strange now, you know, after all the, all these other setbacks this is a strange feeling and then um eddie came over as a lovely guy it was supposed to keep busy fight but he's a family man with three kids and um he was left in there too long by his corner um and he uh he comes out of the ring collapses in the changing room as a um he gets rushed to hospital put into an induced coma and i don't think he wakes up for six weeks so um yeah. I mean, he's awake now. He's um, he's made he's made like huge huge strides, but he's um, he's not a world man. He needs you know a carer. He will do lively for the rest of his life. And um, yeah, that 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 really did um, have a huge effect on me. It was um, as I say, becoming a, a dad myself. You know, around the same time, um, and just being like,
8: I you know,
5: before you sort of. You that you're that dedicated to the sport. It's, it is what it is. But um, being a dad, then you were like, well, actually, no. You know, I, <laughs> I can't dedicate myself to the sport as much as I used to because all my kids to have a dad. You know, I don't want to. Um, I wouldn't. <clears throat> I wouldn't risk my health as such. You know, to the same yeah. to the same degree. Um, but I couldn't stop boxing then because I hadn't achieved my my goal, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't become a world champion. I hadn't, you know, there, there was so much more that I needed to get out of the, uh, out of the sport. Fortunately, the next fight is Chudinov. And I um, had to make that count. I really had to make that count because, yeah, I don't think there would have been much more left, you know. Um, the money, you know, the money for the Tudinov fight, it was, a, it was on the undercard of... Kell you know I was challenging I had to pay over the top to get home advantage so there wasn't a huge amount of money involved in it and um but my promoters um the Salem Brothers um negotiated me as well as my own team into um the World Boxing Super Series so you win this and you go in as a world champion you are going as the number one seed and then you are you are in front of some life changing money you know this is um like make a mega money you know and this is paper like as in in terms of pay-per-view money whether you sell a pay-per-view or not these are all guarantees i didn't have to um drum up the business or such this was my gift this is yeah. a gift that um for the first time in the career that i was gonna get so um had to make it count and uh and you had did. to get there you know <laughs> it was great motivation for me because i didn't know what i would be able to to conjure up whether I'd be able to fight on after becoming a world champion. Would that be it? You know, would earning money be enough? Would fighting for another belt be enough? Fighting rivals or nemesis, Or that would that be enough? But um, I love the idea of this tournament where, you know, when I signed into it, I was the first who midway to sign in. They'd already announced the cruiserweight um, list, had four world champions in it. And um, I think eight unbeaten fighters or something ridiculous like that something close to it so I was thinking this would be the same this will be a, it's all going to be over in 12 months and you're really going to build something special from this mm. and um, so that was great that was perfect for me broken jaw aside at the end of the shooting fight I was a bit a bit to worry about but um, we knew if you get that fit and healthy then um, mm. 12 months free fights I head down I'm training hard and um, leave the sport on um yeah, on my terms.
3: And you did. And you did. And you left it at uh, a young edge, with all your faculties, young family to take care of. Obviously you've just mentioned there in that conversation that you're nipping down to Dale Youth and still taking kids on the pads. You're doing loads in the media, mate. World's your oyster, you can do whatever you want now, can't you? What it what it, what is next for uh, George Groves? Is it are you gonna look into training maybe or doing something with the young ones or is it media that you that that, that is the path now for you?
5: Yeah, I I do like I do like uh, the media side of stuff. is um, It's quite cool. So it's nice to, to give an opinion every now and again. I usually go against the grain, which is uh, I'm not sure if it is valuable or not. It's valuable at the time, and then sometimes if you go a bit too far, your phone don't ring for a little while after. So, um, so uh, no, but I, I I've always been um, tried to give an an, an honest account and. Um, I think sometimes it comes up right, sometimes it don't. But I think hopefully people do appreciate it. Um, I like to keep people on, keep people guessing. You know, that's what I think the sport's missing a little bit right now is, is the personalities and someone trying to break through and do something a little different. You know, um, it was easier for me because I never actually was able to side side up with a main force. You know, when I turned pro, Frank Warren was the the lead promoter in the UK and he signed up James Legale, so I went with with David Hay, you know, and then yeah. when Eddie Hearn sort of came on the scene, he, you know, Fresh tied in with him, so I had to go with you know the Soulands or such. So, and so I always had to carve out my own route and get my own sort of 15 minutes or such so, if need be. And the way to do that was to try and be a little bit, a little bit different and think of something that um, a little bit left filled. So I'm waiting, I'm waiting to see that in the in the in the, in the in the the fighters that are out there right now, because mm. um, Tyson Fury is leading the way, but I prefer his earlier stuff. Like maybe I'm just miserable like that. I mean, <laughs> no, he's I like brilliant it. now, I like, George. I like come it. on, he's brilliant now. He's brilliant, now. I, you know, <laughs> he's brilliant I now. The um, yeah, but as he got a bit older, is is in terms of the the showmanship, is it as good as you know Batman and Robin at the press conferences? And it's not a Rubik's you know, cube, George.
3: It's, it's not a Rubik's cube, mate. I'm telling you. No, yeah, no. You
5: <laughs> know that was that was just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, if I if I did manage to be be, be for first way back when, and was sitting in the driver's seat and was moving and old. Like by the time I did get to the top, you know, we would have seen a couple more tricks. Oh, well, you a, did come in uh, on a double, double decker
6: bus in Wembley, yeah, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah you yeah, did, yeah, did yeah, come yeah, in on a double in decker, decker I, bus. Yeah, <laughs> that was pretty cool.
5: You know, never got back to Wembley Stadium. Yeah, we had a few other a few other <laughs> ideas.
3: Also on Saturday night, we had a plethora of guests speaking to us about how coronavirus is affecting them, not only as fighters, but as promoters too. Barry Hearn came to join us after his recent health scare because his dots side of the matchroom business got up and running on Friday night. And that's where our conversation began.
2: In today's world, you know, you've got to be a little bit creative. Uh, it's never going to be different. The world may have changed completely. Who knows what, when we come out of this. But in the meantime we've got two choices, we can sit around and do nothing or we can experiment and we can try things and try and put a a smile on people's faces. The darts idea is is an idea to put some type of live sport on TV and also you have to remember that most sportsmen, men and women, are self-employed and these are difficult times for these guys whether you're a darts player, snooker player, boxer, you you only get paid when you play. So it's my job to try and be creative and my team's job to try and come up with ideas that provide some entertainment for everybody, including our broadcasters, but also, more importantly, the man in the street who's been locked away for the last three weeks and is going to be locked away for the next three weeks. Before we all go crazy, sport can be some type of release, and and that's what we're trying to do within a safe and healthy atmosphere and subject to government guidelines. No, is, is that
6: something you could um, look ahead to doing with the boxing as well, if it's successful with the darts?
2: Yeah, I mean, Eddie's got, as always, you know, I mean, I, I've always said before, you know, if I die and go to heaven, I want to come back as Eddie Hearn. I mean, the kid is smart. There's no doubt about it. I mean, he's my boy, but he's much smarter <laughs> than his old man. So he's working on things now to look at doing behind closed doors as a precursor to getting back to normal. When we come out of this mess that we're in, we're not going to come out of it like, okay, tomorrow, just go back to normal. It's obviously going to be a phased approach. And as such, we have to adjust our sports events to a phased approach as well. And that may well be an extension of behind closed doors. Eddie's got plans, as always, because he's very creative, to deliver a product and to keep boxers busy, let them earn their living, entertain sports fans but it's going to maybe be in a different type of uh, situation than we are used to. And that's okay. Eventually, this terrible pandemic will pass. Eventually, we'll get back to normal. But life goes on in the meantime. And, you know, what we're seeing is the patience of the British public has been outstanding, <clears throat> but it won't last forever. So I think creativity is the way forward. With
6: uh, With regard to what we were talking about in the first section, if... And i want your genuine view on this and i know that you'll be honest about it tyson fury and anthony joshua meet next year for the undisputed world title if they both come through their fights and if kubrat pulev and Deontay wilder don't take step aside and that doesn't happen first which is a possibility in this scenario because we know that the way that boxing works and if we, we we're out too long there may be the call and you guys may all get together and decide this does anthony joshua and tyson fury one of the greatest sporting events we will ever have seen in this country have to happen in the uk
2: the question about big fights is actually because we've been starved of sport at the moment when it does get back to normal there's going to be a whole host of people wanting to work this is actually good news for boxing fans because The bigger fights will get airtime. The tick-over fights will get ignored. So we will be seeing big showdowns far sooner, probably, than we would have done in the normal situation of this crazy boxing world, Gareth, where, you know, I'm going to fight him and him, and then I'll fight him. That's all going to be fast-tracked because of the demand on airtime when it gets back to normal. Fortunately, I think... You have Anthony Joshua is very keen to fight Tyson Fury he's a professional sportsman if he can't get Fury he will fight Pulev Fury is supposed to fight Wilder I'm hearing and you may know more Wilder has some issues and he has an injury we don't know the certainty of the date of that fight in an uncertain world there is a chance that 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 fight might be fast tracked into this year but we'll have to wait and see But I'm quite certain that with the demand on airtime, when you get a volume of sports events across every type of sport suddenly saying we're okay to be televised, only the bigger fights will get people's attention. And that leads me to believe that we have a better chance of seeing Joshua Fury quicker than we might have thought. Do you think
6: for the greater good of the sport... ...that we should get that fight first, Barry.
2: We see, people like you talk about the greater good of the sport, isn't it? Because you're a nice man, you're a traditionalist, you're a Corinthian, you're a (laughs) boxing anorak. Let me tell you what sport is about, especially heavyweight division. It's about money. Mm -hmm. It's about money. There is no one goes to bed saying, I have done something for the greater good of the sport... And you're naive if you think it's anything different. Fury-Joshua is a huge fight that provides a legacy for the families of both boxers. In a dangerous sport like boxing, the financial side is paramount. Only a fool says, I will take a dangerous fight for less money than an easy fight. Of course, because they're human beings, Gareth. Hmm. They both want fight for legacy, partially, for money, certainly. So, saying that,
6: obviously, I know this, I've been involved long enough, boxing is a business. It's a sport, but it's a business. And as you know and I know, at heavyweight level, it's really about business, especially with the roller, the, the, the momentum, the roll-on we've got at the moment. Generically, how has... Boxing being affected monetarily by this virus then, Barry?
2: Well, like, like everything else, all sport has been affected by this virus because <laughs> it's an event-based business when there are no events. And in a way, it's beneficial in as far as it makes us realise how lucky we have been, how spoiled we have been with our choice of big events and how much we miss sport, So that's quite good. But going forward, there are going to be other complications. People are going to be more reticent to travel Mm. to attend major events for fear Mm. of virus. There is going to be, obviously, an ongoing government control over social Mm. distancing. So it's not an easy situation Some countries will be different to other countries, but at the moment we have effectively an international lockdown on travel. We have a restriction on using doctors and ambulances. It really couldn't be more complicated. So all we have to do really is sit tight, do what we can do, operate within government guidelines at every single level, make sure health and safety is paramount for boxers, officials, fans, and then be ready. Be ready when the green light shows. I spoke to Joshua the other day, and he's a really intelligent boy, sits down, thinks about it, and said, Look, if we are on freeze for a year, it's not the end of anyone's world. Let's bring everything down into the reality of the situation, and sport is secondary to the health of the nation.
6: One of the reasons why you um, had to go into hospital last week, you were telling me you, you, were, you were overdoing the workouts. Um, how is Barry Morris William Hearn dealing with being locked up in captivity?
2: I've had a very active life. So <laughs> for 45 years I've promoted sport, it's my passion and it's my life. But, you know, sometimes it's not so bad to take a step back and, Sometimes you get a chance to reflect, and sometimes you get a chance to plan and improve. So I take positivity out of every situation we're placed in. This is a negative. I'm an event company that does 650 event days per year globally, and suddenly I'm an event company with no events. Okay. I've always run a very good business. I'm I'm fairly smart. I have reserves I have enough to be able to say to my people, you will all be paid a salary for as long as this lasts. You will not suffer one inch. And I will create funds for my players where I can to help them through difficult times. But at the same time, I am spending most of my time, which is quite a lot at the moment, planning where I can go next. Yesterday we started darts at home and we are looking to what we're going to be doing in three weeks time when I anticipate there will be a slight easing of the lockdown. Providing we have the support of the Minister of Sport and the various government officials, we will do our best to provide a living for our self-employed athletes and to provide entertainment for sports fans around the world. That's what we will put on this earth to do and that is what we will continue to do with every single ounce of effort.
3: Now, one of the best brains in boxing right now is Ben Davison. We caught up with him for a bit of a chat as how coronavirus and the pandemic and lockdown is affecting his daily routine. Listen, mate, before we get stuck into uh, any boxing chat, there's a couple of things I want to pick your brains about because I'm fascinated... Uh, with your thoughts on um, on the final episode of uh, Tiger King, you've got a bit of a theory, and there's loads of people obviously in lockdown getting stuck into the Netflix and watching a bit of Tiger King. So come on, sunshine! What have you, What have you learned from watching uh, Joey Exotic?
4: <laughs> <laughs> I uh, what? Listen, I don't agree with what he'd done. I think all of them are are a load of lunatics, to be honest. But what I noticed was that the the producer guy was. You know, he just seemed a little bit too happy with himself and, and yeah. talking about the fame and, the, and, and how he's being recognised, etc. And then he said something about uh, the Joe fellow not liking actually being scared of tigers, but it just made me remember when he got his... Uh, when the tiger or lion grabbed hold of his, his shoe... And yeah, he we had the perfume. He
3: had the aftershave on his shoe, didn't he or something?
4: Yeah, and it it dragged him along now. The way he reacted at the point wasn't someone who was very scared of Tigers or Lions. To me, you know, he's pretty calm about the situation. So, yeah, yeah, it was an interesting one. I think maybe we didn't get to see uh, the full um, honest outlook, should I say.
3: What else have you been watching other than Tiger King?
4: Ozark. I've got started on Ozark. Oh, mate.
3: How good is it? Series 3 is unbelievable. Do you know what? You're I not feeling it?
4: I am to Wendy Burst. <laughs> 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 I episode eight, so don't ruin it for
3: me. I won't ruin it for you, mate. It is good, though. It is. Uh, Ozark, series one, I was hooked in. Series two was okay, but three is absolutely magnificent. That's Gareth, what, what are you watching.
4: Se- series three, episode eight.
3: Top man. Gareth, what are you watching, actually? I've not asked you this. What, what are you checking out uh, on the old Netflix whilst you're in lockdown?
4: L'Oreal I hair w- advert. <laughs>
3: Hey, and listen. When he talks about hair,
0: it's
6: always jealousy. You know that. Yeah. You know, because, because he, he's, 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 he's never he's never patient enough to go full BG, which I've gone. Do you know what I mean? I oh, no, you know. what?
4: I'm, I'm, I'm just jealous. I'm just jealous. I did not get get that far. Do you know? Do
6: you, do you remember being on stage with Michelle Joy Phelps and me? You and her it three of us doing hey, the other flip. Yeah, I cannot yeah. believe we did that, really. But never mind. Um the first Deontay Wilder fight. December twenty eighteen. Doesn't that feel a really long time ago? Feels like mm. another lifetime ago right now. Look, seriously though, Ben, um, oh yeah, I'm watching um I watched the Tiger King. Um, oh, I just watched it all in one go. I thought it was I, I did I, I genuinely <laughs> thought about an hour and a half in, I started watching it about ten o'clock at night. I think if had finished it at five in the morning, whatever it was. I thought I was watching a mockumentary after an hour. I, I wondered if they were just I couldn't Just believe it. I, I mean, I, I mean, it was unreal. Um, and, and as we see, it's gone by. I'm also watching. Um, I, I tell you, a movie I watched actually was 1917, which I mean, it's supposed I to be really good. amazing, absolutely amazing, and it brings to mind again because Ben and I were talking about this the other day. Captain Tom Moore again, the kind absolutely. of people that were around in these world wars, Ben said a very, very um mature thing to me. People say that he's too young to train some of these older guys, but you know, Ben, you said to me the other day about all we've got to do is stay at home. Whereas in the last two wars we'd have been asked to put on uniforms, yeah. train and actually go to war. Um and, Yeah, and you gotta think about they
4: went to war for, for five, six years and we've just got to stay home for, for five, six weeks really, you know, maybe a couple of weeks more, but when you put it into perspective, you know it's a bit embarrassing that we're complaining about it. To be honest, mm. Mm.
3: how are you how are you keeping active? How are you keeping the mind going, mate? Because normally you're in the gym, you've got the boys there, you know what I mean, and the girls that you're training, and 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 you're normally working on working towards a fight. And you had obviously a couple of fights, booked, with especially with uh, Josh and his Scotland trip. I know that the, the Billy Joel was on the cusp of being
4: uh, booked in there, mate. So how, how are you keeping yourself ticking over? just been uh working on myself developing myself as as a coach and seeing where you know uh where I can improve my philosophy where I can improve my training where I can improve the lads their strengths their weaknesses um what stands out in their good performances their bad performances and how I can rectify that how I can make them as consistent as as uh, as possible um and just just working on becoming better at what I do, you know. It's, it's my passion. It's what I enjoy doing. And um, so, therefore, it's what I spend my time time uh, invested in.
3: How many old fights have you watched? Be honest now. In the last three oh, weeks, how many old fights have you watched?
4: I couldn't tell you. I Don't get watch. him
3: started. <laughs> <laughs>
4: I know I that he loves it. i three or four <laughs> fights a day. Yeah. Probably <laughs> every day, barring um, barring probably three days where I, I had a little bit of a break. Um, but other than that, yeah. And th- and
6: th- and that's that's when your girlfriend slips the food under the cell door, isn't
4: it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs>
3: um,
6: listen. you using the word philosophy here. Obviously, you're not Rene Descartes. You know, cogito ergo sum. I think, therefore, I am. Um, but you are you are <laughs> you are getting <laughs> very deeply involved in. You really want to make your mark as a trainer and, and, and you and I spoke in, in detail about philosophy the other day, um, can you elucidate a little bit, not in a Cartesian way, not in an existential way. And, but, but what just, words uh, are you just, using?
3: What are you doing? I'm just, sat in be... people are people having a takeaway in a beer. You know what I mean? Come on, Chris. Listen, you, Shubank been... Shubank just been on the phone. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> miss, miss, Mr. <laughs> Davidson, you are far
6: too young to be training the lineal heavyweight champion of the world. <laughs> um, look, um, th- th- I, I, I mean, but you are, you, you are really working on a very,
4: very clear philosophy, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, look, it doesn't I had a discussion with somebody earlier and we were talking about coaches and how you can some people will perceive one coach as a good coach, perceive somebody else as a as a bad coach. And sometimes, you know, a fighter can have success with one coach and not not success with another coach. It doesn't mean that the other coach isn't good. Sometimes styles gel, sometimes they gel as uh, as a person. Um so I'm not saying that, that I'm right, everybody else is wrong. But my sort of... The way I sort of look at things is almost... So if I said to you, name the five best jabbers in boxing. Now, each one of those people would probably deliver that jab in terms of technique in a different way. If I said to you, name three of the best left hookers that you know in in boxing history, each of them would probably deliver that left hook in terms of technique in a different way. So therefore... It's not, of course, there's you can correct people's technique and, and, and adjust things to make make things better, but the big part of it for me is what really makes the difference because there's thousands of fighters out there that know how to throw every single shot in the book. So for me, what it really boils down to the difference between a good fighter, an average fighter, and then the great fighters is what they do before and after the punches, their brain, their IQ, that's what mm. stands out. How they set those shots up, what they're doing... Um, and then non-punching activity really is what makes the difference between, for me anyway, and my philosophy. Uh, I just feel like it's a big part of coaching which isn't really um, spent much time on. You know, the funny
6: thing is, Ben. I, I, I know I'm name dropping tonight. The next name drop from me, sorry, I'm just bending to pick it up. Is um, is the um, is uh, Sun Tzu and the Art of War, which you and yes. I spoke about the other day, where you you're working on your your generalship, your armies, how you create your battles. Because you study the art of war, this 5th century Chinese uh, um, general who was brilliant, and many fighters and many great trainers have studied his work as well, haven't they?
4: Yeah, of course, you know. And it was it, funny enough you mentioned that. It was something that Tyson read going into. Um... It was something that Tyson began into the first world fight, and yes. me and Tyson, mine and Tyson discussions going into the second world of fight was based upon again um, some of the work from Sun Tzu. So, yes, uh, you know it's interesting that you mentioned that. And um, it's it's deep the something... show, Ben.
6: It's a deep show. It's a deep, deep show. show.
4: Deep
3: show. Deep <laughs> show. It's high, Brown, man. That's why we've got you on. That's why we've got. <laughs> that's why you're here, pal. And um, I, I noticed. Um, on your social media this week, you put a lovely little thing up there about um, referring to a story in the build-up to Tyson's comeback that mm. um, uh, related to Roy Jones Jr. and him re- reaching out to Tyson way before, obviously, he decided to get back, back on that road and how much it meant to Tyson Fury. I thought that was a brilliant little story. For people that haven't heard it, if you could, if you could just go over it for us, Ben, because it, it, it really is fantastic.
4: Yeah, we sort of, it was at the point where we'd started training, we'd gone over to Marbella, come back, and a big chunk of the weight had come off. But realistically, you know, I know everybody's an expert after the, the the scenario. And a lot of people at the time thought, you know, it was a bad move for Tyson to come back, thought he wasn't going to be able to do it, and didn't really believe in him. And that's God's honest truth. And I know it's easy for people now to say, yep. I did, mm-hmm. I always believed in him, I knew he could do it. But the reality is, not a lot of people did. And Roy... Um, come over to have lunch with us, well not with us, with Tyson to be honest and um, he come over, sat down and we had a discussion and uh, he, he said exactly what he said on, on, on the uh, interview that he done there, you know, that he said to Tyson look, if you dedicate five years of your life to this sport, you can dominate and take over the heavyweight division, I, I truly believe that, I know that you've got the skills to be able to do so um, And and you know it was at a time, like I say, where not a lot of people really did believing Tyson it you know, it wasn't like after the wild fight and people started mm, to gain Tyson gain momentum. It was why he was not at his ag- absolute lowest, but why he was at a low point and during that lunch, you know, I got to speak to to Roy Roy and ask him questions and we had a debate and even when we had a difference in opinions, you know, it wasn't an ego thing. He would say, This is why I I this is why I have my opinion and I would mm. do the same. We had a fantastic chat and even at the end of it he stopped me and said, Listen I really appreciate the questions. I appreciate you having your own opinion. And uh, I've I really enjoyed it, you know. And to, to be able to spend time in somebody like Warrior Jones Jr.'s um, company is, is a privilege, Absolutely. and let alone for him to, to be as he was. You know, they say don't meet your idols, but uh, he definitely lived up to, uh, to expectations and some.
6: Ben, that's before good. you go back to the uh, extra episode of the Tiger King that's on, on the list, <laughs> I just want to ask you, the, the, he... Um, um, There's two important things I need to ask you about one um, and I'll ask both questions now one does Tyson Fury need to beat Anthony Joshua to be considered the dominant heavyweight of this era and also. um, How concerned are you about Billy Joe Saunders and the Canelo Alvarez fight and is it true that Billy is going to donate money to a domestic violence charity.
4: Billy Joe's a man of his word, so you know, he come out and said that he'll do that. I can guarantee and, and, and guarantee that he will do that. Uh how worried am I about the fight? Look, the reality is, um do you remember Joe Calzaghi before he boxed Jeff Lacey? He was sort of going for a a rut where he just wasn't getting up for those types of fights and of course he he, he was unbeaten, a fantastic career. But the moment he got that test against Jeff Lacey he really <laughs> come to fruition and and showed mm. what he was about, and I feel like that's mm. where we're at with Billy Joe, once Billy Joe gets that opportunity, you'll see, and I've got a hand on my heart, I've got so much confidence in, in him and his ability and what he can do, I know he'll do it so I can only hope and pray to God that he gets the opportunity, um, in terms of Tyson and Anthony Joshua um, what I'll say, look I've obviously working with Tyson, now, it's always seemed I'm a little bit almost against uh, Anthony Joshua, that's totally not the case I think he's a phenomenal fighter, I think he's a, he's a, a great uh, ambassador for the sport, I think he takes his job very seriously he's, sh- you know, the way he, he uh, showed some versatility in the, in the second uh, re- uh, Ruiz fight the way that he showed mental toughness you can only take your hat off to that but what I will say, is Tyson's gone away and beat Vladimir Klitschko while he was on his uh, on his dominant run away, he then went and beat Wilder he then went and dominating stopped wilder a second time i know some people say tyson didn't win that first fight difference of opinions whatever that's my opinion um and 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 he went away and um and then stopped wilder you know i don't think there's anybody that's got a, a resume close to tyson fury's um and i had a good chat with tyson this morning just to say to him you know look for what he's achieved in the ring, you've got to think about what he's achieved outside the ring. He's inspired thousands of people along the way. And people won't like comparing him, while he's current, to the likes of Muhammad Ali. But what he's managed to achieve in the ring and outside the ring in terms of, you know, the quality that he's shown in the ring, but the way that he's inspired and helped so many people outside the ring. Tyson Fury will be spoke about for many, many, many years to come. And probably for eras, you know, when, when, when we're long gone.
3: Time for a pioneer of women's boxing on the show right now. Back in the day, Jane Couch was the girl to go to if you wanted a tear up. Well, luckily she wasn't in the fighting mood on Saturday night. Gareth caught up with her for a bit of a chat and a bit of a trip down memory lane.
6: You were a real pioneer in women's boxing. Um, The first woman to to fight for her professional boxing license in this country, and I had the privilege, of course, all those years ago, of covering your debut in a nightclub in Streatham. Um, you've been retired a while, but you brought a book out about your life, yes. um, your struggles and your battles, a very moving, a brilliant book <clears throat> that was warts and all. And oh, thank you. amazingly, it was picked up by a film company, the film company of Saran Jones, this very famous actress who's been in some brilliant dramas, um, a proper actor, and she's going to make, her company is going to make uh, a serialization of your
7: life. And is she going to play you? Um, I think up to now, Gary, she's going to play the lawyer or my mum, but I'm still, like, I'm pinching myself still. To make sure that it's real, but it all seems to be going ahead. And um, obviously, because of the virus, people are not working at the minute, and all the filming stops. So, as soon as all this is over, we can. I'm co-producer with saran Jones, so we're going to co-produce it together. She She's is a legend. She's a yeah, legend. Of a woman. She tell me, tell me how that
6: manifested itself. How did it come about, and how did you? did they just get in touch with you how did it happen
7: yeah well i wrote the book and then um that was with um pitch publishing but the agent is nba david ryden and then david called me to say that uh, shrwan jones had read the book and she loved it and she wanted to do a dramatize what what is it dramatization of it and um and it looks like it's going to be picked up by a a national tv could be the BBC or ITV, um, and it's going to be a six part drama. Um, I think there was more um, with the struggle, you know, with the court case, you know, we have the two female lawyers and myself, and then we have Bernard Buckley and Nipper Reed from the boxing board. And I think that's what why they picked it up because they, the arguments in them days was because women have periods, it makes them unstable. And I think. Because that was um, Saran's team, is an all female team, and they they couldn't believe how sexist that the boxing board were and how they really didn't want women's boxing. So I think that's what persuaded you know the courtroom battle with the boxing board. But you know, like you said, I've had a colourful life anyway, so it's going to make for good viewing, just like it makes for good reading. It's over 20
6: years ago that you won that battle. What do you recall from those times now?
7: Yeah, I mean, it's a long time ago, Gareth. You sort of move on with your life, don't you? And and then, I I mean, I look back and sometimes think, oh, what was I thinking to even do that? But then I do believe if I hadn't have done it, that there'd be no girls boxing now because... You, you was around at the time of the court case and it was quite horrendous. The, the board just didn't want women and maybe, yeah, they have changed and maybe, you know, things are getting better but I just think the court case, the the amount of money it costs to take the court, I just don't think any promoters would have been willing to put it up these days. Mm. You- I wouldn't, wouldn't have wanted to upset the boxing board of control which it didn't really matter for me. I didn't realise by... Upset in the boxing border control that like I was going to be frozen out of boxing in this country, but I didn't realize that and I didn't care at that time. I didn't care, all I wanted to do was fight, I didn't care about anybody else, just wanted to fight and get my license. And I knew once I got the license, things eventually would get better, but not until I retired.
6: I had a great interview with a very young boxer, 22 year old Ellie Scotney, the other day who's oh, working yes, in she's being making some I'm... great.
7: Moves into and she is, she, look, she looks
6: good, yeah. And she she was about to make her debut a couple of weeks ago, just wow. before the lockdown on the action card. But she yeah. said to me when I interviewed her that everybody talks about, um, you know, um, Katie Taylor and Clarissa Shields and Nicola Adams, but you've got to look back to Jane Couch, she was one of the real pathfinders in our sport because. You had to go through deep frustrations. You knew you were a fighter. It was just in you um, because you were a flip-the-switch fighter. I mean, I was at many of your fights. And you you really were the Blackpool brawler, weren't you? You know, yeah.
7: I just, I just fought anybody. I didn't, you know, I just wanted to fight. It didn't matter whether I won, lost or drew. It didn't matter. I just wanted to fight and, and make it right. And make it right for people in this country to be able to fight women in this country, especially when you see young girls like Ellie and Ch- Chantelle Cameron, and you know they're all in the twenties and they've got such a massive career ahead of them. And and now, hopefully, you know things will, they're still struggling. The girls are still struggling now, and they're still not on the same path as the men. But hopefully, things will they'll get the three minute rounds and they'll get you know better sponsorship and. And people are getting behind the girls now. There's still a lot of people against it, but then that's always going to be the same, isn't it? I wasn't
6: alone in in following you because a lot of us who were involved in the boxing industry at the time, I'm talking late 90s, early 2000s in particular, we could see that you were a born fighter and you were were prepared to... But you've had almost a bigger fight outside the ring yeah, you, the
7: ring, you know? Yeah, the biggest fight was outside the ring because, as well, I was only 23, 24 when I first started. And then, as the court case got near, it was such a big, I mean, every national newspaper and every TV station was outside the courtroom. So, for a young girl who'd never done an interview and never been in front of a camera to, to be facing that sort of media, I was. I was a bit overwhelmed by it, but Sarah and Dinah, the lawyers, got me through it and you know, they spoke to the press on a lot of occasions, but they, they got berated too, you know, they got called lesbians and and all sorts of horrible stuff um, by the media. But but there was a there was a group of boxing journalists, yourself included, Kevin Fran- Kevin Francis from um, the, the start, yeah. Yeah. Terry Didley. You know, you're all know, the old school type and, and even though it was getting like bad press, you always stood by me and was always at the fights. And you could see what I was trying to do, but it just wasn't the right time to do it. I'd never thought I would hear you say overwhelming. Um, yeah, it was overwhelming.
6: <laughs> I didn't think anything overwhelmed you. Um, When you look back, you fought some of the greats as well, remember? When you look back on your career, what are the fights that really stand out for you?
7: Um, I think the, the first one was um, Sandra Geiger when I first ever won the world title in Denmark. And then after that, Jamie Clampett, that was a big one. And uh, Lucia Riker when I fought on the same bill as uh, Lennox Lewis, Tali Klitschko. And that was a great advert for women's boxing because although I lost the points decision, like Lucia had stopped everybody else before me, and she was a, an amazing, amazing fighter. And something that she had was power that women don't have. Lucia had the power to take everybody out. Yeah. And she she was trained by Freddie Roach, Emmanuel Stewart. She was sparring with little Mexicans in the gym and and beating them up, you know. So that was an amazing time to be able to fight her. And um. And another one was when I fought Dishong in um, in New Orleans, and where Angelo Dundee, the corner with Matthew Sal Mohammed. and they were just amazing to find. So, you know, although I had a struggle and I had a fight, I've got some, I've got a great story to tell, and I think it's time to tell it.
3: Now then, do you fancy a trip down memory lane? Thirty-five years ago. Hagler Hearns gave us the best eight minutes of all our lives. The man that promoted that fight was Bob Arum, and he came to join us for a chat.
6: This is the main event of
1: the night. Twelve rounds of boxing for the undisputed middleweight championship of the world. And finally, it's Hagler against Hearns. And here we go. Back, attempting to get inside he'd love to be able to pin Hearns on the ropes if he can a more aggressive start by Hagler looking at him right for the body Marvin Hagler only oh, wants the body he bangs Marvin oh Hearns on with the right hand on the right Hearns hits him with an uppercut Hagler he's hurt Hagler is done Hearns got inside hit him with a right uppercut Marvin ties him up Marvin Hagler is still hurt Marvin with a good left hand there's blood all over Marvin Hagler's face can't tell where it's coming from. Hearns uppercutting again. Hagler bloody. A tremendous Hearns, hurt. First round and Hearns gets hurt. Hearns got stunned. Hagler was stunned early in the round. Great first Ooh, round. Wow. Incredible. Best in middleweight history. Marvin Hagler wants to turn this into an alley walk, and he's got another low blow. Richard Steele may take points away soon, but will it matter? got to put a band. in just box him. box him. He turns, turns his back. Takes another right. Hearns in deep trouble again. turns it down. turns it down in the third round, and on his back, and he's not going to beat the count. I don't believe. Tommy Hearns tries to get up. He can't continue. It's Handler full
3: of blood. It didn't go very far, but it was a beauty. Oh, the commentary brings back. Well, it puts the hairs on the back of my neck on end. I've watched that fight three times this week. I don't know about you, Gareth. It's an absolute classic. As they say there is. Only in once. It, 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 listen, it, it doesn't even last three rounds, but it's absolutely outstanding and the man that promoted that fight joins us now uh the main man from uh, from top ranking is bob aaron bob welcome to the show how are you sir evening uh, i'm really
8: good you know what's happening here in the states espn is doing 11 hours uh on its number one channel uh of classic boxing which wow. uh includes the hagler hearns fight uh People have been calling me all day uh, at uh, <laughs> Delahoy and Trinidad. I always thought Delahoy won that fight. Uh, they gave it to Trinidad uh, mm. people who are now seeing it sort of agreeing that Oscar won that fight, even though he didn't get the decision. I've watched the uh, Delahoy and Chavez. Uh, mm. uh, wow. Uh, yeah, and these, uh, they're trending now on Twitter, uh, these fights, uh, uh, people talking about them, I, we think they're going to get ratings better than they have uh, <laughs> uh, on uh, boxing matches. They've had uh, Fury fights on a uh, week before. Uh, ESPN is doing a great service to the fans here in the States, and it's great for boxing because as more and more people watch these classic fights, they realize what a great sport, uh, boxing is. And, uh, because they go back in an era, uh, where the only combat sport was boxing, uh, yeah. people realize, uh, how great, uh, boxing, uh, was and is. And when we resume, uh, live fights as we hope to do in June, uh, uh, we're going to have more and more fans. Unfortunately, we're not, when we resume, we're not going to be able to do it with audiences, but mm. we're now making uh, the necessary arrangements uh, to do live boxing uh, with uh, uh, out spectators. There's uh, still a lot of things that have to be done, the testing of the participants, the mm. testing of the people who will be in that room uh, when the fights go on. Uh, I know that uh, the English promoters like Hearn uh, and Warren are making arrangements uh, over there uh, in the UK. Uh, so boxing, hopefully, will be back in some form or another uh, in uh, uh, June or do you July. Think, Bob, do you think,
6: Bob, do you think uh, the UFC will be
8: back before you? No, the UFC should be back at the same time but only if they do it in a non-Trump way you see <laughs> what 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 uh Dana White did was try to schedule it on an Indian casino without the safeguards that are necessary and California shut it down uh by going to ESPN which then put pressure on Dana White uh to not do the event. Now, if Dana White uh, puts on events with the same safeguards that we're going to have in boxing, by all means, there'll be UFC events without audiences. But he can't be a cowboy. The point is, this is serious business. And we have to adhere to regulatory standards. This pandemic is serious and we all want to do live events, but we have to do it in a safe and sane way. And if Dana White takes his time and adheres to those standards, which the various commissions like Nevada and California and Texas will be put into place and the British Board of boxing control will, uh, adhering to the, uh, government standards, uh, then, yes, we'll have live boxing back and live USC back, uh, but without audiences, at least for a few months.
3: Bob, I just we want to take you on a, a little bit of a trip down memory lane to uh, Hagler Hearns 35 years ago. You were obviously the promoter uh, of that fantastic clash. Just one question from me before we obviously get into the build-up to the fight. It happened on a Monday evening. What's the story behind that? Well, Remember, this is back in an era
8: where the fights were shown uh, in the United States and I think also in the United Kingdom. uh, We didn't have pay-per-view then. We didn't have uh, the the ability uh, to do uh, fights on pay-per-view that required satellites, which would come in uh, later, domestic satellites. So the fights were shown on closed-circuit television which meant arenas and theaters and Monday nights uh, were uh, uh, and Tuesday nights. Some of these fights were on Tuesday night were uh, uh, the only way we could do them because cinemas uh, uh, have a down night on Monday night because people will be watching uh, movies uh, and cinemas on the weekends and Monday night, was uh, a night where the attendance wasn't that great. So that enabled us to show these fights in theaters uh, and arenas uh, when we wouldn't be depriving uh, the theater owners uh, in cinemas of revenue. So that's why you see all of the big fights uh, during uh, the uh, eighties were on Monday and Tuesday nights,
6: Bob. Um, when you obviously we had eight minutes of violent back and forth drama in this fight. Was there a sign going into this um, thirty-five years ago that you were going to get the kind of drama and thrills and spills that we have got in those eight eight minutes of uh, three rounds of action?
8: Well, it didn't surprise me because remember, in to publicize that, that fight, uh, we did a two-week bondstorming tour of the United States. In uh, 13 days, we stopped in 24 cities in the wow. United States. We, we had two gracious. planes. Uh, one carrying the Hearns camp, one the Hagler camp, and we went west uh, from New York uh, to Los Angeles and then back uh, east uh, on the turnaround. uh, And we hit cities uh, where you wouldn't ordinarily go to publicize a fight, like Charlotte, North Carolina, and places like that. Uh, and it became uh, we called it the Magical Mystery Tour after the the Beatles' saw, uh, <laughs> album, and uh, uh, and 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 press people were invited on these planes on a selective basis for different legs, and it became something uh, of, uh, of of the tour took on a life of its own. But what happened was that Marvin, who was more, in, was very introverted, mm. uh, and Hearns was more of a people, he loved the whole hoopla and the tours. Uh, Hearns started getting on Hagler's nerves, and I remember in St. Louis, which is one of the stops, uh, at uh, the uh, restaurant owned by Stan Musial, a great baseball player, one of the greatest, uh uh Hagler got so incensed for a reason that escaped me of what Hearns has said that he jumped over uh, the dais and started going at Hearns and we barely were able to stop it. So by the time of the fight, these two guys had built up such animosity, true animosity uh, towards each other uh, that I knew – that when they got in the ring, they would forget about boxing and feeling out each other, and they'd go after each other with the attitude, MF, I'm not going to take a step back. <laughs> I'm just going to whack you out. And, and that's what happened. And Tommy, who had a right hand, you talk about Wilder's right-hand weapon, uh, Tommy had a right hand that was probably even better than, than Wilder's. Mm-hmm. And yeah. thirty knockouts uh, and thirty-two fights that first going into that, round yeah. where he hit Hagler with his best punch, yeah. and Hagler, like a bull, was stunned for a second, yeah. and and came right back. And at that point, I said to myself, "The fight's over," because Hagler's taken his best punch, and nothing happened. Uh, apparently, happened. Uh, it was very dramatic. Uh, Hagler was cut on his forehead, and they stopped the fight a couple of times to examine because the blood was pouring down. And the last time they did it in the middle of a round, uh, Hagler just said, that was it. And he went after uh, Hearns, and that led to the third round where he uh, exerted his will on Tommy and knocked him out. Uh, It was a great, great fight, but I expected, really, uh, not necessarily the outcome, but I expected that kind of fight because of how the animosity between the two fighters had built.
3: Bob, you've been involved in some of the greatest fights of all time. Where does this one rank for you?
8: For me, it's the best fight. Uh, uh, ESPN will be showing later today... Uh, as part of the Ali-Fraser trilogy, uh, yeah. the third uh, Ali-Fraser fight. And that, to me, is one of the great fights as well. The difference between that fight and Agla Hearns is it was different. Ali uh, started early and was thoroughly beating Fraser. <laughs> Fraser rallied and started taking it to Ali in the middle round. And he looked like he might knock Ali out. Ali, uh, you know, summoned up all his uh, remarkable strength and uh, determination and came on in the last few rounds and uh, took it to Fraser and closed Fraser's eyes so that Fraser, after the 14th round, remember, the fights were 15 rounds then, uh, Fraser couldn't answer the bell the 15th round because he was totally blind.
6: Yeah, well, we're, we're talking about that in two sections time, actually, the thriller <laughs> in Manila. It's my, it's one of my my favourite fights of all time. Bob, watching the fight back see, between Hagler see, and Hearns... You
8: see, that just that really just shows. And now, ESPN called us uh, mm. today, called Todd the Buff today, and said uh, that they're going with a five-hour block, and uh, Next Saturday, uh, after the NFL draft, where they select Mm -hmm. the college players, the professional teams do, uh, 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 on ESPN, because the uh, reception uh, of the public uh, to these classic fights has been so tremendous. And we have uh, some additional Hagler fights, uh, great fights to show, uh, a lot of Foreman's fights in the comeback. I know they showed uh, uh, Foreman and uh, Holyfield today, but we have Foreman and uh, Tommy Morrison was a great fight, Foreman and Alex Stewart, and Foreman and Moore, where Foreman regained the title. Uh, They'll be shown, I think, next Saturday. And then uh, for Cinco de Mayo, uh, we're obviously not going to be in action to show... uh, You know, like a Canelo fight, uh, live fight. Uh, We're going to show classic fights with uh, Hispanic fighters uh, like uh, 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 Barrera and Morales,
3: Marquez,
8: Pacquiao. So, you know, there's always good with the bad. The bad is we don't have live fights, but the good is that people are now, reconnecting with boxing and realize what a great sport it is and Absolutely. how the events were so dramatic and great. Uh, and uh, so when we open up, whether over uh, in the UK or in the United States doing events without spectators, uh, people will appreciate boxing more and uh, they'll be thrilled to see uh, live events with our current crop of fighters bob one of the things
6: just going back to Hagler hearns just finally um was um one of the things i really noticed about Hagler, um obviously everyone sees him as a bull of a fighter um and i met him in his 50s and he was still an incredible physical specimen we went to morocco on on a charity uh uh uh, project uh, more of that later but the 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 thing watching the fight back, where he was so brilliant, and we see it from a lot of fighters today, he switched. Uh, he was switch-hitting very early in the fight. And and that's what bamboozled uh, Hearns early, even though... Hagler no, I don't somebody.
8: think he bamboozled her. These were two guys who were fighting in a alley in back of a pub uh, because <laughs> they didn't like each other. That's what it but, was. There was no real strategy were either of
3: them in this fight they were just bombs away sticking with the theme of nostalgia myself and Gareth every single week pick a fight for you to go and watch on YouTube throughout the course of the week before we obviously get back on the radio next weekend I've gone a little bit left field he's gone with a classic enjoy these
1: don't take credit away from Herrera By and Bradley is yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. not going to be charged with a Ow. knockdown movements well, keeping Bradley out of trouble here. But now he gets rocked again by right hand. Oh, he's hurt again. And trying to fight his way through it and taking another right hand. Oh. Neither man is hard to find. Bradley he eats another big oh. left hand. Huge shot. Oh good. good Shut uppercut by Bradley. Follows up with the right hand. Oh. Here comes Brabutnikov again. And he caught Bradley with that right hand. Oh, oh. another right hand. And another right hand. You don't need to be trained Look like this. Look at this. Look at this. He might have opened up that eyelid, but you saw his nose so swollen. He did, a lot. And, and Freddie's concerned. That, that that blood is really starting to spurt out of the eye, and oh. Bravatnikov is hurt, but still throwing bombs like that one. Oh, big left hook. by go. he got him again. Bradley almost went down, somehow stayed up. Right hand by Provodnikov. Unshocked to put him down here. And now oh. there's a right hand that lands again. He might
3: down. That's a knockdown. Desert Storm. Timothy Bradley. It's, uh, for you to get stuck into this week is the 2013 Fight of the Year, according to Ring magazine. Ruslan Provodnikov taking on Timothy Bradley. There's a little bit of a story to this because... The fight before it for Timothy Bradley was that fight against Manny Pacquiao. Um, and a lot of people off the back of it would have deemed it one of boxing's worst decisions. He got his hand raised over Manny Pacquiao. A lot of people, obviously, including myself, and I'm sure Gareth is the same, thought Manny Pacquiao won that particular fight. So the fight was set up with Provodnikov as a bit of a confidence booster, really, for Timothy Bradley. But Provodnikov was having none of it. He turned up and absolutely threw the kitchen sink. Early doors, in particular, uh, Timothy Bradley. Bradley won quite a lot of those uh, middle rounds, I'd say from around about four, round four through to around about round eight, round nine, He, he I think he quite comfortably won those rounds. But then mm. Provodnikov just put it on him again at the back end of the fight and had him down in the final round. The drama at the end of the fight was absolutely sensational. And I've got to be honest. I'd, I mean, the score, when the scorecards came in, I actually thought Provodnikov had done enough work early doors because he had him in real trouble and most certainly at the back end of the fight to maybe have his hand raised. So two controversial decisions back to back, one that, uh, uh, and both of which, Timothy Bradley got his hand raised, Gareth.
6: Yeah, indeed. And obviously, as you say, um, Timothy Bradley took a knee in the last round uh, as yeah. a knockdown. Um, and it was a very close fight in the end. I mean, what um, aesthetically uh provodnikov with a a head like a giant turnip i mean (laughs) he's the last person you want to go to (laughs) the last person you want to go toe-to-toe with in a war because he was so tough and bradley came out and and was overly aggressive i thought in that fight because he's a he was a brilliant technical boxer with a phenomenal jab um, you know, and he didn't take a lot of punishment in his career. Um, terrific fighter, um, and, and I think the key is that he really, he was one of those moments when a great boxer, which Timothy Bradley was, underestimated a very tough rival, a very tough competitor, and he paid yeah. the price for it. Paid the price physically, if not on his record, but a very good pick, Adam, very good pick.
3: There you go. If you've never seen that one before, Ruslan Provodnikov versus Timothy Bradley. It is on YouTube because I watched it the other day. So go and have a little bit of a nosy on it. Uh, It's the 2013 fight of the year, according to Ring Magazine. It is a belter, honestly. they let the living daylights out of each other. Now, if you're a a boxing connoisseur, I've no doubt the fight that Gareth is going to talk you through right now, you may have already seen it, but there's nothing, there's no harm in going back and just refreshing the old grey matter on this little bad boy. Gareth, over to you.
6: In the searing heat of the Araneta Coliseum in Cubao, Quezon City, Philippines, watched by a billion people worldwide, the third fight, the trilogy fight, between the greatest Muhammad Ali and smoking Joe Frazier. It's the thriller in Manila.
1: Gentlemen, the government and people of the Republic of the Philippines, in cooperation with Don King Productions Incorporated, proudly present
9: the Thriller in Manila. Racer's smiling as Ali talks to him. It's 15 rounds, the ring is 21 by 21, a rather large ring. Ali opening up fast. Frazier looking to work the body. Frazier keeps smiling as he corners Ali to the rope. Ali beats him to the punch. Good punches by uh, Frazier now as he's got Ali on the rope. Ali with the rope at Frazier looking for an opening here. This is almost a replica of alley and Foreman last year. Round seven, scheduled for 15. Frazier coming back. Ali dancing for the first time. ali has got Joe covering up for the first time. A minute to go in the round. Frazier seems to be bleeding from the mouth. Big round for Alley. Frazier looked awful tired. Is puffed around both eyes now. Ali has gone out for a knockout, I think, in this round. Whether he gets it or not is something else. Frazier is hurt. Frazier's badly hurt. That was the biggest round of the fight for anybody. Frazier was within a bunch or two of going down. The doctor comes up and looks at Frazier. I think it's gonna be over. It's all over. So what do you think now? What's the future? So I'm going get the woman against the winner?
1: That's right, and then I want to retire. This is too painful. It's too much work. Okay. I might have a heart attack or something. All I right. want to get up and go out while I'm on top.
6: Well, Adam, uh, we heard the beautiful dulcet tones of Muhammad Ali before his uh, illness, of course, Um, just there, 40, what is it, 45 years ago. It was the trilogy fight between these two extraordinary fighters and men. Mm. Um, As I say, watched by a billion people worldwide, 500,000 on pay-per-view on HBO, the very first pay-per-views. In those days, it was an extraordinary contest. We talked about Hagler Hearns on the show tonight. This was 14 rounds of that in the searing heat of the Philippines. It was promoted by Bob Arum, by the way, because I've spoken to Bob about this fight. I have watched this fight probably, and I'm being genuine here, probably eight or nine times. It's, uh, It's exhausting just to watch on television. The two men... Uh, look out on their feet most of the time but they are slugging away at each other. Um, of course it was called the thrill in Manila because uh, of Ali's famous line it's going to be a killer and a thriller and a chiller when I get that gorilla in Manila um, mm. and it, he, he promoted the fight brilliantly and Jerry Eisenberg one of the great American sports writers once gave me an interview saying this wasn't a trilogy fight for the world title. It was for the championship of each other. Ali won it, stopping Frazier in the 14th round. Yeah. Um, well, he was pulled out by Eddie Futch, one of the great, yeah, yeah, yeah. great trainers in his corner. Both eyes were closed. Um Ali said, I thought I was close to death during the fight. Um They gave everything. This was the slow version of ali he wasn't a dancing ali anymore he used a dope that he'd learnt against george foreman in in the rumble in the jungle the year before um, where he'd regained the world title at the age of 32. Um, it was just one of those extraordinary battles where they both gave everything they had and remember those were 15 round fights in those days it was an extraordinary event an extraordinary time in the history of the heavyweight division mm. and you know it's one it's one of those fights that that you can't forget it's it's just as I say you just watch watch it you just see that they go at each other round after round after round it's extraordinary that they had it that much in them uh, to, to be able to give so much in such an incredible
3: contest the fascinating thing for me, knowing what we know now and how heavyweights have developed now and how big they are and how much they weigh now, when you look back at that and you're looking at guys, I mean, what was Ali? 6'3", and you've got Fraser just shy of six foot, wasn't he? Um, they were both weighing in, sub two two five. Man, yeah. they were so good. They were so, so good back then. And obviously now, you know, physically... Guys have developed, they're getting heavier, they're getting bigger. Six foot six guys, six foot seven guys, six foot nine guys, weighing in over 260, 270 pounds. It's a different game now, but back then, they were a little bit more nimble on the feet, and I'll tell you something, they went at it for 14 rounds. It was absolutely well, outrageous. Well, well ben,
6: ben Davison, very quickly, Ben Davison was talking about the best hookers in history. Joe Fraser used to throw three left hooks in a row, literally flying left hooks. Um, and, you know, he was five eleven and a half. and a half". £215 for that fight. It's extraordinary. I mean, that's not a big man. He's shorter than you and I. It's, It's just extraordinary what he achieved.
3: So there you go. Get stuck into those two this week. And of course, the adler fight that we mentioned a little earlier on with Bob Arum. You can't go far wrong this week. If you've any fights that you want to recommend to us that you want mentioning on the radio, just tweet us at Castro at Gareth A. Davis PT and we'll give him a mention on next week's show. Speaking of next week's show, you can come and join us live from 8 o'clock on Talk Sport, But if that isn't a thing that you can do, maybe you're zooming your mates and having a pub quiz whilst you're in lockdown, then make sure you subscribe to the podcast. All you got to do is hit the button on iTunes or go to the TalkSport website for an Android feed. If you can write us a nice review as well on iTunes, it helps us with the visibility so therefore more people can see what we're getting up to and they'll never miss out on any of our content. I'll catch you next week.